Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. So our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, found in chapter 4, verses 35 through 38. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is the word of God for the people of God. Morning. So welcome to all of you. Um, my name's Brett, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, also, welcome to those of you who are online. We're glad you're joining us um, that way. Re- real quick, as we get going, um, would you kind of pull to mind when you were in like high school, middle school, maybe college, whatever, um, who was your favorite teacher? And then when that comes to mind, would you just kind of turn to the people that are, that are near you and, and, uh, and let them know who that was and maybe what that person taught? Okay, ready, set, go. Some people come to mind. When, uh, when I was in high school, um, I, I had a couple of great teachers, you know, but one that just sticks out um, was the, the, the teacher that taught psychology, which was an, an elective in high school. His name was Mr. Stoderman, um, and he was tough to get because the seniors would always fill up all his classes first um, before anybody else could get in there because he was, he was that good of a teacher. And I still remember things about psychology that he taught um, when I was in uh, 12th grade. And I, you know, why was he a good teacher? I think some of it was that he always kept us on our toes. And I remember once I was in the front row, I think, and maybe I wasn't paying attention very well. Mid-sentence, he dove to the ground, wrestled a shoe off my foot. I couldn't fight him because I had a desk, you know, between me and him. He ran out in the hallway, threw my shoe, walked back in, and kept teaching right where he left off. Um, he, w- he would teach from on his desk, um, sta- like standing on his desk. Um, he would teach walking around the class. He had this series of same jokes that he would use over and over and over again. Um, like when someone would say, oh, God, he would say, no, Stoderman's fine. You don't have to call me God. Um, and I like over and over and over again. And he was an absolute blast. But I think partially um, because he always kept us guessing a little. Um, so we, uh, he was, if you took your eyes off of him, you were probably going to pay for it. Maybe you, you were going to lose a shoe. I don't know. Um, but in the book of Mark, 
which is what we're going through. And I would invite you um, to read the book of Mark with us over the next few weeks. Um, The book of Mark is the shortest of the stories about Jesus's life. Um, It's very fast paced. It's kind of action packed. um, And it's it's quite interesting. And so we would invite you, if you uh, don't currently have something you're doing in the Bible regularly, we'd ask that you read the book of Mark with us. Um, And what has been going on is people have been waiting for the Messiah for a long time, the anointed one of God, the Christ, same, same word, um, and, uh, and they've been waiting for someone to show up and rescue them and do all these things uh, that they expected someone to do. They, they, among other things, they were expecting the Messiah to be a teacher, um, to tell them about God's laws and God's character and God's relationships to lead them in a relationship with God. They were also expecting this person um, uh, to be like a, a political military leader to get rid of Rome. They were hoping that this person would be somewhere across between General Patton and Hulk Hogan. They wanted the Messiah to show up. There was going to be an entrance ramp and fireworks and probably a tank top and giant biceps, um, tanks if they could find them in the first century, um, whatever. They wanted somebody to drive Rome out. Um, That was something that they were absolutely expecting. They were also expecting him to be a religious leader as he led the country, maybe a cross between like super Jew rabbi and the president from Independence Day, you know, when he like gets on the microphone and calls everybody and like to rally um, and fight the bad guys. Uh, There were a lot of expectations on who the Messiah would be. Um, he was going to help the Jewish people. He was going to back up um, the, the religion. He was going to drive out Rome. He was going to be a great teacher. He was going to be righteous and, and fit their understanding of things. Um, and then they get Jesus, who's different than they were expecting. And in Mark, what, what we get is this announcement at the beginning that Ron talked about last week, that God announces who he is, but no one else knows. And everyone's trying to figure out who this guy is. And if they were expecting a Messiah um, like they wanted, they got something quite different. Um, like in, a, if I could just take a blast through like Mark chapter two, three, four, um, like in, in Mark chapter five, um, Jesus, um, when, he, when he heals this paralyzed man, He forgives his sins in verse 5. And the religious leaders are already fuming because how could you do that? Only God would do that. A Messiah wouldn't show up and do that. That's like breaking the rules. Um, Or uh, if if we get to uh, to verse um, 13, he ends up eating with Levi, who's a tax collector, also called Matthew, um, and a bunch of sinners. Not, not good news. This is not what the Messiah is supposed to be doing, who he's supposed to be spending time around. Are you joking me? Um, he, he ends up questioning religious traditions in, uh, um, like in, in verse 18 and, and 19. He ends up questioning fasting, which was a, a regular religious practice that they considered fairly central and kind of an identity marker for who they were. Um, next, in verse 23 and following, he questions the Sabbath, which was one of the most central practices of being a Jew, and he's questioning how they practice the Sabbath. Um, this, this guy is making people mad all over the place. Um, in, in chapter 3, verse 4, he heals on the Sabbath. Really not supposed to do that because it's considered work, um, and, and he's driving people crazy there. In verse 7 in chapter 3, um, he draws a crowd, um, which if you wanted to get on Rome's radar, 
draw a crowd. It says a large crowd from Galilee followed him. Um, Because of the crowd, um, his disciples um, put him out in a boat to speak. In their country, in their day and age, if you had thousands of people following you and you were just some wandering teacher, you were on Rome's radar and they were ready to deal with you if you needed to be, if you needed to be dealt with. Um, and then at the end of chapter 3, he starts appointing disciples. What do you have to think about yourself to start getting a group of people together and saying, hey, I've, I'm going to give you the honor of following me following me. And this goes over so well that in verse 20, it says, then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Then his family, Jesus's family heard about this and they went to take charge of him. And they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, the religious leaders who came down from Jerusalem, said he is possessed by Beelzebub, a a demon. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Who's happy that Jesus has showed up? It's not the religious leaders. It's not Rome. It's not his own family. His own family is probably like my older brother. Always, oh, he was always the perfect one. And now he's gone and gathered a crowd and appointed disciples and he's healing people and questioning this. Is, and they're probably also feeling some pressure on them. The, the only people that seem happy that Jesus has showed up are sick people, sinners, and God the Father. Everybody else, Jesus is a walking frustration for. Why? Why, why, is, why is he a walking disappointment and frustration for everybody except sick people, sinners, and God the Father. Uh, um, I was asking some questions about learning and how we learn, and I, I got on the phone um, a lady in our church that, uh, um, that helped lead the education department over at SEMO, um, Dr. Julie Ray, and I was asking her questions about human learning. And uh, it also, I also helped pick up a few fancy words to make me sound smarter, because that's um, important. And... Uh, And a a couple of phrases that were thrown around are cognitive peace versus cognitive dissonance. Cognitive peace is when in our mind, everything is in order. Um, All of the files are in the right place. We understand how the world works and how things fit versus cognitive dissonance is when we see something or hear something happen in the world that doesn't make sense. Sense And that creates discomfort in us when we have cognitive dissonance. And we live, guys, we live for cognitive peace. Um, As people, we are driven, and understandably so, to create cognitive peace, to be able to see a framework for the world that works. She told a story about her grandson that they took to the zoo in St. Louis. We were there yesterday, by the way. And, uh, And they went into the penguin house. You know the penguin house? Smells terrible, but it has air conditioning. Right, right, right. So you'll wait in that line. And they, they see this massive penguin, and her grandson says, duck. And they say, no, that's, that's a, it's a penguin. It's, it's not a duck. And he's thinking, no, you're dumb. It's a bird. It has wings. It has two legs. It hops around. What's, it's, it's a duck. No, it's a penguin. And he goes, no, it's a duck. And they're like, fine, it's a duck. 
Because in that moment, the grandson is seeing the world and he doesn't want cognitive dissonance. He wants cognitive peace. And he has a file. He has a file that says duck, that says bird-like thing with wings that walks and waddles and has two little legs and a beak. And so it, it's, it's close enough. It's close enough. And, and, and here's the thing, is in that moment, he wasn't ready. He wasn't open to having his files rearranged because that would have been difficult. Did anybody see the movie The Blues Brothers? I'm, uh, yeah, a couple of folks, yeah, cult following. I'm a music nerd, so I love the Blues Brothers. And when they, they show up to this like um, Western bar and Elwood talks to the bartender um, and he says, what kind of music do y'all usually have here? And she goes, oh, we got both kinds, country and Western. Right? Those are all the files this lady has available to her, and what they end up doing doesn't go over well. Because when you show up and you start messing with people's cognitive peace, they tend to revolt. But here, here's the thing. If I have one of these, and I'm trying to categorize in orange, um, I can figure out that it is not like this. A rock. It's round. It's round. But this is soft. This is hard. Um, this smells good, this doesn't really. I mean, like, I can figure out that this is not like this. So I might say, well, it is like this. Round, tastes good, seeds. But if I stop there, I stunt my learning. That yes, an orange is like an apple, but it's also not like an apple. And I can go on, like all day, with I could pull out an orange marker and I could say, it's like this, but it's not like this. And we could go on and on and on. Because increased learning means that we have to go into the filing cabinet of our brain and say, this isn't sufficient. And we have to keep working and working and working to create things. So here's the thing. A good teacher takes away your peace but stays with us until it's rebuilt. A good teacher walks into the filing cabinet in your mind and says, this isn't enough. We need to add, we need to change, we need to move, we need to rename. A good teacher takes away your peace, but stays with you until it's rebuilt. Mr. Stoderman, part of the reason why he was good, and I'm betting part of the reason why you mentioned who you did is because that person was willing to take away your peace, to tell you that you don't understand everything in the world. But they maintained relationship with you during the dismantling and the rebuilding. You may have gotten filing cabinets you didn't even want, like calculus. What is that one doing here? No one uses that one except engineers, right? But that is part of what a good teacher does. And Jesus shows up and he starts taking people's peace away from them as a good teacher. But notice that he keeps the relationship, what apparently educators call scaffolding, so that he can maintain relationship and be with people until their peace is rebuilt, and he's willing to question all kinds of stuff. After he does a bunch of controversial stuff in chapters 2 and 3, and then his family gets mad at him, and the religious leaders get mad at him, then in chapter 4, he launches into these stories called parables that are quite dangerous. 
They are quite dangerous. They are metaphors. They're like symbolic um, pictures of, of things about God and the world. And if you read them, the people that are listening, they're picking up on the fact that he is calling out people, changing their ideas about God and the way that the world works and religion. And he's pulling those things apart. Jesus is dangerous to the person that wants to maintain cognitive peace. And then, at the end of all of that, in verse 35, it says, when the day, uh, that, that, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the, of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. A, a little bit of what seems to be suggested there in the language is that he is exhausted. They took him along just as he was. He seems to be burned out after a long, hard stretch, dismantling people's expectations, disappointing people can be exhausting. It can be exhausting. They took him along in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. So it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown, whatever they thought about Jesus, they were finding out that he was not who they expected him to be. Don't you care if we... Now notice, why, whose ideal was it to be in the boat? Somebody. Jesus's. It was Jesus's idea to be in the boat. Is it going well in the boat? No, it is not going well in the boat. Apparently, Jesus is perfectly willing to call you out of your nice, comfortable little world into trouble and then take a nap. Does that, does that make you feel good? It didn't make the disciples feel good because they're probably thinking, hey, buddy, we're here because of you and you're sleeping, we're about to drown out here. These were tough guys. They had spent their whole, some of them, their whole lives on the lake. Maybe you have followed Jesus because you're in the work of surrendering to him, but following him has taken you to a place where things are incredibly uncomfortable. Maybe you said yes to opening up your life to some people, and it has gone badly, and you're wondering, do you even care? Maybe you broke up with your boyfriend, because you're trying to follow Jesus and you knew that that relationship wasn't good for you, but now you're lonely and you're experiencing the isolation of saying no to a relationship. Maybe you've lost your friend group and you're wondering, do you even care? Maybe you were generous with your finances to people, to people in need. And, and now, now inflation's up. Now maybe, maybe you're spending a little too much money on some things. And you're, you're wondering if you're going to be able to pay everything you need to pay and you have people to take care of. And you're thinking, Jesus, I'm in this situation because of you. Do you even care? I, I, don't know, I don't know what your situation is, but there are often times in our lives when people, religious people, will assume that if you're experiencing trouble, it's because you were disobedient. Sometimes we are experiencing trouble because we said yes to Jesus. And he's perfectly willing. Does that not mess with your categories just a little bit? Now, now Jesus has this response when they, when they wake him up. It says, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, 
rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet or peace. Be still. And the wind died down. And it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus is pulling people out of the mental framework that they have and introducing entirely different ways of thinking about God. And he's hoping that people will come along for the ride. I mean, when we talk about God and Jesus is, we believe is God in the flesh. You know, we're talking about something that is way beyond us. Um, and anybody pay attention to social media this week and see all the pictures from the James Webb telescope? So there were so much of them on my Facebook feed that by the end of the week, like everybody was making fun of them, you know. Um, but they're absolutely amazing. I think Hubble um, got put up in the early 90s, and the James Webb Telescope absolutely phenomenal, surpasses Hubble by quite a bit. Like here's here's some pictures. This is the this is the edge of a nebula of an exploding star of an exploded star. I mean, like I can't even wrap my head around that, or, or this. Um, not the ones with, like, the starburst, that's a star. But past that, those, like, swirly bits of light, those aren't stars. Those are galaxies with billions of stars in them. And some of these are 13 billion light years away. That, that means that the light you're seeing there left those stars 13 billion years ago. I have no chance of wrapping my head around that. It, it, check this out. Here's a picture of the Milky Way with Earth. Here's a picture of the Milky Way without Earth. The universe does not care. It does not care. The universe doesn't care. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about our economy. It doesn't care about inflation. It doesn't care about your family drama. The universe is completely indifferent to our climate, to the challenges that we have politically. It, it, do, it is incapable of caring. But God cares. The, the, the one who spun the galaxies into existence and knows every atom in them, he cares about your bank account and about your anxiety. And he cares about your strained relationship with your daughter. And he knows you're scared that your parents will find out. And he cares. He knows about the person that's lonely because they've retired and they've moved on into a different stage in their life and they're sitting around their home and they're bored and they're not sure what they have to offer the world and he cares. The universe doesn't care at all about us, but God cares. And he cares and he can be quiet at the same time when his disciples are screaming at him, don't you care? He cares and he can be asleep. 
And sometimes we're in the middle of a bunch of mess and it seems like God doesn't care, he cares. And he can be quiet at the same time. He also, he has authority over the world and over all the problems of the world. He has power to speak and change anything. And apparently, he's comfortable with waiting to address our challenges. He's comfortable with waiting sometimes. That doesn't fit my categories of what I'm expecting out of God. My mental framework says if you care and if you have power, you can act now, but there he is. He's asleep and he can wait and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He sees our fear and he can provide for us. He, notice when, he, when the disciples wake him up, the first thing he does is he, he stills the storm and then he says, okay, about the freaking out. You, you, you didn't have to. You didn't have to. But look, look, sometimes there's this understanding about God that we have to quit freaking out, that we have to get rid of our fear and then he will respond to us. Apparently that is not Jesus. He is perfectly willing to take care of our needs and then, and then talk about the lack of faith thing. You do not need to get rid of your fear for God to show up for you. He defies our categories. And notice, notice their response to, the, to this God that cares, that responds. It says they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When they started following him, they probably had a pretty good idea about who he was. But after spending time with Jesus, they do not understand him. After spending time with Jesus, they understand that they don't understand him. After spending time with Jesus, they realize that their categories were completely insufficient, that they, the filing cabinet is not correct, that things are not in order, that he has not shown up to affirm their beliefs or their categories or the way that they think about him. They are in a position where they are ready to turn over the key to the whole room and say, you need to do with it what you want. And look, I know that a lot of people, and I understand why, we show up to church to receive cognitive peace. Because the world's crazy, and we need a place where we can feel settled and anchored, where things feel certain and still, and that is okay some of the time. I cannot walk through life in cognitive dissonance all the time. Every time a car drives by, if I go, what is that? I mean, it looks like a car, but who knows? That's not functional, right? We have to have cognitive peace in our lives. But church... Life in discipleship to Jesus, worship, time in prayer and Bible study. Sometimes it is about cognitive peace, but sometimes it is about cognitive dissonance. Showing up and saying, who is this? I thought I had you figured out. I don't have a clue. And if, if I could just offer a word, some of the most beautiful Jesus followers that I know, they have beliefs, they have doctrine, they have convictions, they have theology, but they're humble about it when they encounter difference or when they encounter something that challenges what they think or they encounter a person that maybe doesn't fit their categories, they're willing to be a little open-handed because who is this? I don't. I do not have him figured out. 
And I'm willing to let Jesus step into my room and rearrange all my categories. Some of the most mature believers that I know, yes, they have a list of what they believe about Jesus, but they are also quick to say, I don't have him figured out. And every time he moves in my life, I realize that my categories are insufficient. He's like a teacher that'll wrestle a shoe off your foot and throw it down the hallway sometimes. He's willing to take away our peace but maintain relationship until it's rebuilt. And then he'll take away our peace again because he loves us and he's a good teacher. And when Jesus is revealing the secret of his identity in the book of Mark, over and over and over again, part of the journey is these people finding out he's not who I thought he was. He cares. He has power. He's with me. But the gospel isn't about getting him to fit into my categories. It's about surrendering so that we can receive grace and receive who he is. And so I don't know where you are, but maybe today can be a day to say, Jesus, you are welcome to violate all my categories because I don't have you figured out. I just want to know you. I just want to know you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you, you are the kind of God that you offer your broken body and your shed blood for us. Talk about violating categories. The God who dies for his people Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be captured by you again in awe and wonder. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.